talk that I asked that uh, while you're in the space that we don't use uh, any texting or any uh, interneting uh, because we're trying to be present and connected. That's the whole point of a spiritual environment. If you do think there's a, a text that can't be missed, uh, you're welcome to go into the back room and, and, and text away. Um, okay. So, tonight the talk is on um, the tendency to control in relationships controlling people and I don't want to create a sense of us and them uh, I think there's times in life when we always when we are controlling and times when we come into contact with people who are very who seem <coughs> abrasive and uh, authoritarian so it's about examining this uh, understanding it and how to relate to it from both sides um, in the Buddha's tongue, control was the word dhamma in Pali. And the Buddha said that, in general, uh, humans, until they develop their spiritual practice, tend to seek security in life by exerting control over others and by things that we have no control over, rather than by uh, nibbida, which is letting go and participating in life. So rather than going with uh, consensus, working with others, participating, we tend to, when uh, there's fear or uh, other factors, which I'm going to review, we tend to try to seek control as a way to uh, feel more secure. Um, so there's, uh, I've, in the counseling work I do, I hear a lot of different ways that control plays out. And I've taken notes on the basic four, and it's interesting that it turned out to be these, because, um, well, I'll explain why it turned out to be interesting. The first I noticed is that whenever there's a sense of, um, of uh, obligation born of any kind of identification, my family, my relationship, my business, my band, that's my dog you're petting, that's, you know... <laughs> That's my bass you're picking up. That's my uh, drum stool you're sitting on. That's my... Wherever there's a sense of Sakaya uh, Diddy, mine, this is mine, there is a tendency to exert control. And this is why grandparents can often be much more tolerant uh, caretakers than parents, because parents have a great sense of fear and a great sense of connection to their children, whereas grandparents have all been through it before. They don't really feel that much that the, the, a grandchild is a reflection upon them. And so they can often be a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more hands-off, a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more at ease. Uh, whereas any area in life where we feel it's about me, this job is about me, this... this uh, this food co-op is about me. I don't know why, where this stuff comes from. Anyway, uh, uh, wherever we feel a sense of mine, 
this is this belongs to me, this is an, an extension of me, there tends to be a desire or a tendency to get wrapped up and to want to exert um, a sense of uh, jurisdiction, uh, claiming uh, a taking over impulse. The second is an er- is any lack of trust in others or tolerance, and this comes very often from childhoods born of insecure attachment with a par- with parents. Uh, uh, those of you who know attachment theory, basically. Um, it very often, if we've had with our caretakers a sense of, uh, of um, insecure uh, connection with one's parents, children can grow up to be people who are very controlling, demanding, needing to maintain um, uh, a sense of monitoring the people that they're in relationship with. And... Uh, uh, it can come out, especially in routines. I once, uh, uh, many, many, many years ago, I moved in with, or I, I cohabitated with a, a charming woman. Uh, it was very early in our relationship that, and when she, a few days after she, uh, cohabitating, I was putting something away in a drawer, and she said, "That's not where it goes." <laughs> which I thought was extraordinary. She said it with a kind of, you know, uh, jurisprudence that, that there had been some kind of committee that had met, <laughs> which I hadn't been notified, and they had decided that that drawer was not, in fact, for, you, you know, a salad spoon or whatever the fuck it was. That was not where that was going to go. And I had not gotten the memo. And the funny thing, in fact, was, uh, I mean, just to be honest, it was actually my place, and she had moved into it and decided that that drawer... So I was a little astonished. Um, I was a little astonished. and But that's sometimes what happens when we're with controlling people. There, There's this... And, and then we begin to doubt ourselves. Maybe that drawer was for this. And I, all these years I was here, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I hadn't gotten the memo. She knew. She got it. So, um, so, so there's that. Um, anything that brings us, uh, we turn to for pleasure, for that, that uh, experience of like, uh, release, uh, sensual pleasure, what the Buddha called Kama Upadana, just to show off for no reason, I know all these Pali words. Um, yes, uh, anything that we turn to again and again trying to, uh, as, a, as a reliable source of ease, whether it's our booze, our favorite restaurant, our favorite this, we can demand to have access to, we can become very intolerant if anybody gets in the way. Who, me? Uh, you know, I use crack socially. I don't know what you're trying to, uh, you're trying to say. Um, so, uh, ideologies as shoulds um, are the fourth category. It, uh, this very strong view of there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way, this should be the way things are 
are done, a very strong ideological sense that uh, there's a blueprint for the world, a platonic view, as it were, to uh, show off the remaining remnants of my education. Um, these are the four areas where you can expect to see, I've seen at least, uh, in working with people, uh, control issues arise. And when I drew up this list, I immediately noticed that it actually matched the Buddha's four um, areas in where attachment arises in life. We attach to things or views about ourself. We attach to routines and the way we do things. We attach to uh, sensual pleasures and we attach to views and opinions. So, and in essence, uh, I just could have read what the Buddha wrote and without doing all that work, and I would have found that the list was already there for me, which is that uh, wherever we attach to things for uh, security, for um, a sense of buoyancy, a sense of meaning, a sense of... Uh, of um, uh, a sense of any kind of uh, way to unpack or come to grips with life, a way to uh, something that we fall back on, and uh, that's where we'll be. There will be control, and the reason is is that all these things that we fall back on externally, they're not actually within our control. They're constantly changing. They're const. They're other people. Uh, they won't do behave the way we want. So. In essence, the Buddha says that we're constantly seeking to try to gain security in things that don't offer actual security. We're trying to get security from sensual pleasures that, or a sense of power, a sense of happiness, from sensual pleasures that cannot be controlled, that are uh, irregular, that are not always available. We try to get... Um, uh, a sense of control over our shoulds and our ideologies, our views and opinions, when in fact very often all causes is conflict and the world doesn't often fit neatly into our understanding. Uh, moreover, um, it's interesting that the left hemisphere of the brain, which is the area that is associated with both language and narration, uh, and ideas, is the part of the brain that really optimistically believes it can control everything. And our consciousness is very much enrapt, enraptured, captivated by the promises of control and power uh, that our thoughts uh, and our uh, ideas provide. The right hemisphere of the brain, which is associated with language and social connections, uh, is much more about seeking a sense of security through just being connected with others, but not controlling others. So the more we listen to our stories, our ideas, our views and opinions, our narratives about ourselves and our lives, the more we are going to be sucked into a desire to control a desire to exert power. The way we exert control boils down, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but we will try to claim power and authority where we really don't have any. I'm sure you worked with that person before. Um, 
we will operate alone. Uh, invariably, they, the person who uh, exerts power will be stay later and will try to do the whole project themselves and won't uh, turn anything over, won't allow other people to participate. Um, they will, if they do have to participate with others, they will worry constantly, nag you, stand in your doorway, look over your shoulder, and constantly ask again and again if you're doing what they want you to do when they want you to do it. Uh, they often become secretive. Uh, and yet at the same time, the uh, corollary of all this behavior is that when we give into the desire to control, we feel put upon. <laughs> because we've taken so much onto our plate, we have so much lack of trust and tolerance, we control so much in relationships or workplaces or community engagements or... Uh, cooperatives or anything. We take so much on that we begin to be resentful. Uh, and we, we, we blame the others for not doing things the right way. And so we feel compelled to take control. Now, um, the result of controlling is that um, it leads to conflict, obviously, it leads to isolation in that uh, the more we exert control, the less we feel uh, we are participating and connected with people, the more we've, we view other people are um, basically obstacles in our way. And so there, the, there's a great price that we pay for domineering. Um, and all of these actions are unified by what's known as the startle reflex. In chronic stress, uh, there's this reflex where when we're exerting control in life or we're worried or we're caught up in narratives, the stomach, the abdominal muscles get tight, the jaw locks, the shoulders become uh, tight and shift up. The, uh, the out-breath becomes very short and we focus more on the in-breath because we feel like we're up against it. Uh, we're very much in a dramatic mindset, and so we're gulping for air. And um, the, uh, the body releases uh, lots of stressors, and it becomes basically a chronic stress if we try to exert too much control in too many areas in our life, and we don't learn to let go. So when we're interacting with someone who's a, a control freak, uh, and this question might come up, um, if it's important not to continue um, training in a Pavlovian way people to continue this. It might feel like, oh my God, I just can't deal with them. Fuck it. I'm just... Whatever. And that seems like the easiest path, but actually all we're doing is we are training people to continue down that path. On the other hand, if we march up to them and we go, listen, you son of a bitch, I'm so tired of your, you know, we wait until we explode. What happens is um, 
not only conflict, but people become actually under stress and duration, they become less likely to let go, and they become more guarded, more secretive, more jurisdictional, and less likely to listen to any kind of consensus or work with others. So the, uh, the trick is to not back down, but not to needlessly aggravate the situation. The ways we do this is, first of all, we express calmly that, one, we are qualified, We've been doing our job, been alive many years before them, and we didn't get into car accidents, so we know how to drive. Uh, we know how to cook. We know how to uh, clean. We know how to do all these things. We've done it for years before we encountered this person. So we remind them that we're a full human being with a long history and that they seem to have overlooked that quality. Uh, and we try to do that, even though I had a, ton, a, a touch of, uh, of sarcasm in my voice, it's best to, be, to, to do that just to remind, because when people are caught up in a controlling state, they tend to forget that other people know how to do anything. They just view other people as threats, inconveniences, something that's going to bring the whole ship and caboodle down, and that's not a phrase, but other ship and caboodle. I don't know where that came from. Um, so uh, that would be kit and caboodle. So, uh, so okay. Um, it's very important to express that when they become, when somebody exerts authority over something that they don't, or when they don't ask, they demand, uh, when they uh, constantly nag or constantly ask for updates, that once it requires time and time again, calmly saying, when you do that, not only does it slow things down, but it makes the quality of work worse because it takes away from our ability to concentrate, which is necessary to develop cognitive flow. You probably won't remember any of those words, but just explaining that it doesn't help matter. Um, another thing to be on guard for, by the way, you can always tell if you're about to fall into a relationship with somebody who's a control freak. They won't present themselves as such. They won't say, oh, by the way, my name is John or Jim, and I'm a control freak, and you're going to regret every moment of this. <laughs> they will present it as a favor. Uh, they will guard unconsciously their controlling as a favor. They will say to you, oh, let me pick you up, and I'll choose the restaurant, and I'll, uh, I know the best place to go, and I know of the most wonderful uh, thing we can do after that. So they'll present it as they're doing you a terrific favor. And in fact, all they're uh, unconsciously doing is acknowledging that they can't stand you having any input into the decision-making process. So the uh, thing to do, if you want to test, is throw a wrench in the works and simply say, uh, when you know the discussion comes up, no, I, you know, I was thinking I'd actually rather go to blah, 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 
and I'd actually rather us go by bikes or whatever. To see what happens when you completely change the plan, you'll know. Trust me. <laughs> so when it comes to our own uh, controlling impulses, and again, there's areas in life when we can feel ourselves dominated and pushed around, and then there's times in life where we're, nobody falls uniquely into one or the other. In my experience, if we, the people who say, oh, I don't ever have any controlling tendencies, um, uh, whatever. Uh, so uh, the first is to acknowledge where we and how we have a tendency to exert control. Uh, in most cases, it's, it's going to be, again, whenever we feel attached to something and whenever there's a sense of fear or drama, that tendency to step in to claim uh, authority, to push people away, to become easily frustrated, to uh, dominate. Uh, and it's important just to acknowledge it before we try to let go of anything, before we practice um, any kind of spiritual approach. That's important. Very often in life, we've claimed control of an area of a relationship um, due to real frustrations. And so it's important to acknowledge it because we have to know just exactly how much and be willing to incrementally let go. The second part is to, to prepare for letting go by utilizing the resources available for us, by which I mean self-soothing uh, is incredibly important. We can't let go of control, power, jurisdiction, a tendency to claim something or do things by ourselves or be completely self-sufficient. We can't let those tendencies go if we're constantly under stress. So having uh, ways to self-soothe, uh, one thing that works beyond, of course, meditation, is just know the things that feel good in a skillful way, sitting out in the sun, uh, having a warm bath, uh, calling up a friend, sharing about the experience, reflecting on who will be there for us if we need help. Uh, all these things are self-soothing. They basically pr pr um, provide a sense of security. Uh, the third is to stay present with the fear that often ignites the desire to exert control. Whenever we feel that we have to check in, monitor, uh, oversee, command, there's inevitably going to be a fear of, of what might happen if we don't. We're always motivated by some uh, concern about what might happen in the future. And rather than follow the train of thought into speculation about what would happen if we don't, you know, if we do let go, to actually just feel fear somatically as it arises, feel this energy that's pushing us, pushing us to control, to seize the reins, to grab hold of the steering wheel, and to really observe it and investigate it. So to know that feeling 
that internal residing body state and be able to stay with it rather than to need to uh, give into it and be pushed into the world and trying to control the people around us. The more we observe how it feels in the body, we can begin to internally actually begin to release this trigger, this fear that pushes us into action, that makes us want to dominate or control or, or um, you know, uh, become just completely self-sufficient without participating with others. The uh, final part is the actual letting go. And letting go doesn't mean just falling down and whatever. Uh, it's, it's basically letting go is, in essence, relinquishing the normal way we exert uh, ourselves in situations, especially where there's fear or drama, and practice acting in a different way. That's all it means. Participating can be, can be started off by simply practicing doing exactly the opposite of what our fear would have us do. Um, so, for example, in life where I've at times felt um, financial insecurity, uh, there's a tendency to, to never spend anything and just go into this little hole and stress myself out and become, you know, but instead I always at that time will use that as an opportunity to uh, donate to generally a, uh, a cause that I feel is really worthwhile. Um, last year was Occupy Sandy. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a, and I always find that when I do that, not only do I come from a greater place of abundance, but then there's much less need for me to be controlling and tight and armored and rigid in my life. Um, I can ask myself, what would somebody who doesn't feel fear, how would they behave? Or how would somebody that I deeply admire, I often hold up uh, one of the monks I've studied with, Ajahn Suchito, who is just an amazing guy, and I'll just hold him in my mind, and I just ask, you know, would this guy, yeah, uh, would this guy say, no, it's my band, and I have to do the posters for it, fuck you. <laughs> no, I can't imagine him doing that. I don't actually play in a band, so that was a completely... Uh, uh, facetious example um, but you get the idea just envision somebody that we deeply respect and ask ourselves if they were uh, in a tight deadline and they had all this stuff going on would they really just grab all of it and take control or would they share it how would they communicate how would they ask for help and just by envisioning that sometimes it does what's known in psychology as titrates the experience, so it's easier to learn how to let go. Um, yeah, in general, I think that uh, the real key is enlisting support to uh, practice letting go. The more we feel uh, that we are emotionally connected, the more we satisfy the right hemisphere of the brain, and the more we build up a sense of security that way, the more we share 
talk about our, our stresses, the more we enlist people in our lives, the more we build deep empathetic bonds with others, the less we feel emotionally threatened and the less we'll be triggered into seeking control over others. So uh, just to summarize, uh, in general in life, we tend to see people becoming controlling, ourselves and others, wherever there's a sense of strong attachment, either by identification or by shoulds or by lack of tolerance. Um, if we want to or we need to work with somebody who's controlling, it's key not to train them to continue because they will continue uh, falling into this pattern unless we patiently, calmly stand up and explain again and again, and it won't have any effect the first 20 times you do it, but we have to practice uh, reminding them that we're qualified, that there's a reason why we do things, not that we have to explain it, but there, we have our reasons, and that um, we uh, have, um, are not any more efficient, in fact, we're less efficient the more that they exert of constant nagging, control, uh, pushiness. And our, in our own lives, when we need to let go of tendencies to control, uh, we practice by uh, building up our resources and reflecting on the areas where we do control, letting go step by step, little by little, not just throwing the whole thing up in the air, experimenting in different ways to build a sense of participation. Finally, just to mention it, there are times in life where we will be in a relationship with somebody who is completely incompetent in one area of life. I've known people who for some reason will sign up and spend their entire lives with somebody who's just completely untrustworthy when it comes to finances or something, uh, it happens. You know, the heart will go where the heart will go, and sometimes we'll fall in love with somebody who's um, uh, completely untrustworthy in one domain. And so if we do need to maintain some control in that area for the health of the relationship, it's useful then to turn over another area where they are trustworthy to them so that we don't wind up overburdened. So if we're in a relationship with somebody who's uh, untrustworthy when it comes to um, making plans, then we make the plans, but we turn over some of the house duties or the chores. You get the idea. It's important not to keep adding more and more onto our plate without letting go of stuff. Because if we do, we will not only become overburdened, but we'll add stress. And the more stress in our lives, the more isolated, domineering, and unpleasant the results will be. So I hope there was something worthwhile in there somewhere. That's tonight's talk on controlling. I thank you. and. Uh